Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Goal Achievers, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is Hal Elrod. Welcome to a very special episode because this is the third episode in the Miracle Equation series leading up to the Miracle Equation book launch on April 16th. As I mentioned last week, you can pre-order your copy of the new book, The Miracle Equation, How to Move Your Biggest Goals from Possible to Probable to Inevitable on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And then here's the cool thing. If you forward your receipt to the email address, miracleequation at gmail.com, and pay attention, there's been some misspelling on that. There's two E's in the middle, right? Miracle ends with an E, equation begins with an E. So miracleequation at gmail.com, but forward your receipt And if you do that today, you're going to get over $1,200 in bonuses. I'm going to lead a six-week live Miracle Equation implementation course, how to create tangible, measurable miracles. And that's going to start the week after the book publishes. And then you're going to get a Miracle Equation Limitless Potential Guided Meditation. And you're going to get a Miracle Equation One-Page Printable Implementation Guide. So you can keep it front and center during your miracle morning or just during the day because what we focus on expands and I want the miracle equation to expand in your life and your world and enable you to take all that is important to you and bring it into reality. So uh, what's special about today's episode is this is actually the, it's the third podcast episode in this miracle equation series. However, this is the first interview of what I call a miracle maven. And I know you haven't read the book yet because it's not out for another week or so. But in the book, I talk about the way that I define people that live by the miracle equation, which is really anyone who's really achieved amazing results in their world, extraordinary results, or what I call tangible, measurable miracles. But a miracle maven is one who understands miracles, one who understands how to create them, right? And uh, our guest today, Sean Stevenson, Dr. Sean Stevenson, is someone I would consider a miracle maven. And he has been a miracle maven from a very young age because Dr. Sean Stevenson was predicted not to survive at birth because of a rare bone disorder that stunted his growth and caused his bones to be extremely fragile. When I say extremely fragile, he fractured his bones over 200 times by the time he turned 18. And despite his challenges, Sean took a stand for a quality of life that has inspired millions of people around the world. And since 1994, so over 20 years now, his powerful message has been heard at live events in nearly 50 states and 16 countries. He shared the stage with US presidents, billionaires, business moguls, celebrities, and His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. And Sean has even appeared on everything from the Oprah show, it doesn't get bigger than that, to Jimmy Kimmel, in addition to online videos with tens of millions of views and the biography channel produced an hour-long feature on Sean's life called The Three Foot Giant. And Sean is also the international bestselling book of Get Off Your Butt, a book that has been butt, B-U-T, 
uh, been translated into over a dozen languages. He's a board-certified therapist, a doctor of clinical hypnosis, and Dr. Sean Stevenson sees clients in a unique 12-hour session that gets to the root of their fears, excuses, and insecurities. And uh, I've also met his lovely wife, Mindy. They both have traveled the world, but call Scottsdale, Arizona their home. And again, from a very young age, as I mentioned, Sean has implemented the two decisions that make up the miracle equation, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. And if you study the world's most successful people in all walks of life, from prolific creators and innovators and world champion athletes, you name it across the board, you find that they could not have gotten to where they are without making these two decisions, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, and not just once, but making them over and over and over and over again as a fundamental way of living and showing up to every challenge that they face and every opportunity that comes their way. And it is through unwavering faith and extraordinary effort that miracle mavens like Sean, who you're about to hear from, are able to create tangible, measurable miracles and really create a life filled with miracles. So my very first interview, I was joking with Sean before we started. This is kind of an experiment. So uh, hopefully this, uh, but with Sean, it can't go, it can't go anything but well, but I'm very honored and excited to have Sean, you, my friend on the podcast. How I am super excited and it's inevitable this podcast is going to go well. It is inevitable. But of course, like anything, when it's your first time and it's unknown, I'm like, I've never asked these questions to anybody. So hopefully uh, these are the right questions. But let's just start from birth, right? You, you were born with what many people would cause or call, could call a limitation, right? Or born into adversity, if you will, right? Just these physical, this condition that you were born with. So I would love to hear about, uh, and for your audience, just to hear about your upbringing and what was life like growing up and what were some of the, the moments that shaped who you are today? Sure. So I feel like when I look at my life, how starting with my birth, that I had very clear two options to choose. Whereas I think most people have lots of options. I think most people don't really fully figure out whether or not they're going to tackle life head on or they're going to maybe play it safe and keep it okay. I felt like really early on, if I'm going to survive, like literally going to live, it's going to be because I have a clear cut vision of where I'm headed or I'm not going to have a vision and I'm going to perish. You know, and it says that in many spiritual texts that people that don't have vision perish. And it's because when you have massive adversity, like I did at birth with my physical condition, you need that vision to pull you forward or you just get crushed by the day after day after day of pain and challenges and adversity. Sometimes I feel like I may have uh, blocked out a little bit of how much pain I went through as a child, just so I can go on in my life and not have it kind of be like a weight on my past. But there was a tremendous amount of pain. I wasn't physically abused by a family member or a a neighbor, but I was physically abused by my DNA. Hmm. My DNA was abusive. And you can't outrun your DNA. You can't hide from your DNA. And so with that, I had to get very clear on who I am separate of my DNA and whatever happened happened, but I wasn't going to stop. My mentality from a very young age was that the only thing that's going to stand in my way of my dreams is death. 
and I decided to give death the run for its money. And it's been a, a really wild existence. I'm turning 40 here in about a month and a half. And when's your birthday? Uh, May 5th. Oh, May 30th, man. We should, uh, yeah, we're pretty close. <laughs> yeah. So uh, does that make you a Taurus or are you now under the... I am a Gemini, but I'll, Gemini. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be 40. Sorry, you're a Taurus? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my mentality has always been that only death is going to stand in the way of my dreams and I'm going to give death a challenge. I'm going to stay one step ahead. And it was really, I feel like my competitive side has been a big part of why I'm still here. My competitive side, and there was a, a conversation that I had with a mentor. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead and where you want to go with No, this, it's okay. But there was a conversation I had with one of my mentors, probably going on nine years ago. And I had a group of mentors, about 21 of them, over the course of my life that have really shaped a lot of my reality and my opinions and my, my values. And one of these mentors, he, he just got really quiet with me and he said, Sean, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to need you to take it really seriously. And he said, why were you born? Hmm. And I'm going to ask your listener right now the same question. Why were you born? And that's a heavy question for most of us because it doesn't have an exact answer in a very clear textbook. It's based on a spiritual, energetic response. Mm -hmm. And for me, I did something that my wife, Mindy, has taught me to do, which is get out of your head and go into your heart and get into your heart consciousness. And, you know, your heart doesn't have any questions and the head doesn't have any answers. You know, the head is what produces the questions and the heart is what produces the answers. And so the answer that I was able to summon when my mentor asked me, why were you born? It was very clear that I was born to rid this world of insecurity. And he said he could feel the hairs on the back of his neck stand up when I answered that. Hmm. He said it came from a deeper source. And I agree. And he said, Sean, I want you to know that not only do I think that that's accurate, but this needs to change the rest of how you live. Everything from this moment forward should be run through the filter of are you ridding the world of insecurity and this is your mission now it's been clearly laid out for you what needs to be done you need to rid this world of insecurity and if anybody was born into a container that the human race would listen to on this topic it would be you hmm. because if you're a perfect specimen of health and you walk out on a stage and you say you don't need to be insecure if the audience is going to have an ab reaction and say, like, who are you to say that? Like, yeah. easy, easy for you to say. But when I roll out on stage three feet tall in a wheelchair with twisted and mangled arms and legs, and I say to somebody, you do not need to feel like you're not worthy of respect or worthy of love or worthy of a great life, that you are enough just the way you are born, you are enough. When I say it, People listen because they realize that the chemistry set at which I have to live in with my container, that didn't come easily. That came with choice and effort over time. And when I say it, something recently popped out of my mouth when I was on stage and I said, if I looked like you, 
you couldn't hear me the same way. Yeah. You actually said and, that at our best year ever event. It resonated so deeply with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I believe that my container, who I am, is a part of my mission. It's not like I was born with this and then I kind of stumbled into, oh, I guess I want to make people feel good. No, this container was a part of my co-creation with my creator as a part of the tools in my tool belt. I don't look at it like, how you got a better body than I did because you can walk. You got a different body than I did. Yeah. And so that my body gives me advantages that other people's bodies don't have. For one thing, I roll into a room and people will remember me for the rest of their life. Yeah. I've had maybe once in my entire life where somebody didn't remember meeting me that I knew I met once. And apparently that's a regular occurrence for you normal looking people <laughs> because I don't know what that's like. And I'm grateful. I don't know what that's like. I don't have to grow out my hair and spike it and, and uh, get it kind of, uh, look like I you know, fell into a tackle box with piercings to get people to pay attention to me. I just go outside. So describe and, your body real quick, Sean, for anyone that yeah. doesn't know. Um, yeah. How tall are you? How, you know, describe your body. Sure. Sure. So I'm three feet tall, but because my bone structure, I can't walk. My legs can't hold the weight of my trunk. So I use a wheelchair. My legs are kind of bent in almost like frog legs because the bones were pulled by the muscles over time and were bent in whatever direction the muscles wanted to go. And so my legs are kind of bent in. My arms are twisted. So where most people would bend at the elbow, my arm kind of corkscrews to the right and left. The arms are bowed and my chest bone, so my sternum, where most people have a sternum, if you touch the center of your chest, you can feel that bone. Uh, mine protrudes out because all the ribs pushed it forward to have room for the organs. Since I didn't grow tall, my ribs had to push out on the sternum. And this container for, oh gosh, most of my life, I have been on a journey to enjoy the packaging that I was given by looking for the gifts, understanding that it wasn't an accident. And some people have debated me on this, Hal. They'll say, well, Sean, what if you're just delusional and that's just shit you're making up <laughs> so that you can feel good about yourself? Yeah. And I go, my response is, so what then? Like, yeah. I'd rather live in that reality where I'm supposedly delusional, feeling good than realistic, feeling like I was a genetic disadvantaged reject of my genetics. Sure. You know, you have to, no matter what your container, no matter what your station, no matter what you were born into, you have to view it looking for the advantages. You got to look for the advantages in your life. Because that's what's going to pull you forward. You can never listen to or allow a disempowering prediction to limit you. You have to rewrite the story of what you're going through in a way that empowers you. Never believe a prediction that doesn't empower you is a, is a normal way that I say that. Well, and I love that. You know, uh, like I've always said it as everything happens for a reason. There's that old adage, but we choose the reasons, right? 
and to your point, yeah, this whole realistic, you know, that when people counter you and they're like, oh, well, is that just stuff you're making up to feel better about yourself? It's like we create our own reality. In reality, it's our life is as good or as bad as we choose to see it. And whenever I hear somebody complain about their body, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm five pounds overweight, or I'm like, well, why would you allow that to affect your emotional state and your quality of life, right? Like, there are people that are 100 pounds overweight, or there are people like Sean that are three feet tall. And it's like, so should they be unhappy? You know, I think that that should give us, Sean, to your point, I think you're so right that, you know, you're born into a body that gives people perspective. That's how I felt in my car accident. I'm like, I was head on by a drunk driver and found dead because otherwise I couldn't have stood up in front of a room and been like, hey, no, you can be happy even when things are going bad, right? If I had a great life, they'd be like, well, <laughs> easy for you to say. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I was told I would never walk in it, right? But I was still happy because you don't let the outer circumstances define your internal reality. And you're just, God, you're such an epitome of that. Well, Howard, you know, I've always thought about this. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, but it's, it's so true with a guy like you. What doesn't kill you only raises your speaker fee. <laughs> yeah, you've said that to me. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Oh, for those of you that don't know, go watch Sean on YouTube videos. Sean's one of the funniest speakers in the history of speakers. So, oh, man, you, you were the highlight. at uh, We had Sean at the Best Year Ever Blueprint event this last year. And uh, I mean, Sean, I literally, 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 which this is an expression, but it's never, never happens literally, but I fell out of my chair twice laughing while <laughs> you were giving your message, dude. Thank you. Yeah, you are, you are a gift, man. You, you are a gift. So I want to dive in into the, the miracle equation a little bit and look at how the, the two decisions that make up this formula, how they've shown up in your life. And I'd love to kind of visit like early on, like when were the first time that these two decisions shown up for you? And then, and then how, how do they still show up for you now? For you and for our listeners, I, I want to define a miracle really quick. And the uh, and reason is miracle is a very loaded word, right? It's, it's often viewed as you know a passive or random act, which I think gives miracles kind of a bad name. People are just going, well, yeah, miracles happen for random people. And I keep praying, waiting for my miracle, waiting for my lottery ticket. you know. But the way that I like to reframe miracles is, is in a way where, no, 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 these aren't mythical you know, random acts. These are tangible, measurable results that we have control over creating or at least influence over creating. So let me put it in a sentence. I define a miracle as any result outside the realm of what you believe is possible for you or probable for you, right? And that's why when you achieve it, it feels like a miracle because you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even... I, 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 it was so far outside the realm of what I thought was possible, but I gave it everything I had and it actually happened. The first decision that makes up or that, that I believe contributes to what creates a miracle for us is establishing and maintaining unwavering faith that you can create whatever that result is that you want. And most people don't do that because they go, I've never done it before. And uh, there's lots of self-doubt. We have to override that doubt with faith. And the second decision is once you're clear on, okay, like you said, the vision, right? What, what's this miracle that I'm going to create? Then it's, okay, what's it going to take? I've got to put forth the necessary effort or what I call extraordinary effort to make this miracle reality. And if you maintain unwavering faith and you put forth extraordinary effort over an extended period of time until you reach your goal, it becomes inevitable. Your success becomes inevitable. So that's kind of the big picture context. So diving in when it comes to unwavering faith, when was the first time or the first defining time that you established the faith that you could do something that you had never done before? I think when I was sitting with this woman named Bryn and we were at a lunch meeting in Santa Monica and I was in my early 30s. No, actually I was in my late 20s and she was an 
executive producer of the TV show that was very successful. And she said, Sean, I, I heard you on, back in the day, they weren't called podcasts. They were called like monthly interview series, right? Yeah, sure. But essentially, they were the same thing, right? And I was on a monthly interview series that she heard. And she's like, this, this man's message needs to be heard into the world and shared with the world. And so she met with me for lunch in Santa Monica and said, you need a TV show. And she said, but I have to be honest with you, a million shows get pitched a year, like around the world. And actually it might be a million in the United States. I don't know, but she just said a million. And she said something like 10,000 get picked up and made into shows and something like, I don't know, 1,000 air on television in a year. And she's like, so it's tremendous odds against you. And whenever I hear somebody say, like, tremendous odds against you, I can't help but have my curling of the corners of my lips. Like, I have to smile when <laughs> someone tells me that something's not possible because of the statistics. Yeah. Because, you know, the stats were so against me just being born and, and living uh, through my condition. So I'm somebody you want to bet on, you know, for the long haul. <laughs> and, and, and when she said that, you know, this is a long shot, but would you be willing to try it? I didn't know, but I started to clearly keep the vision in my mind. And three years later, after going flying back and forth between New York and LA and multiple ups and downs, we finally sold the show to A&E and the three foot giant was born. And that was an incredible experience uh, that I wasn't sure was going to happen. But actually, can I share another one? Yeah, please. Because there's another moment that's even crazier because I was convinced that it would take magic. I would need a miracle. Yep. And that was when I wrote uh, Get Off Your Butt and I wanted Tony Robbins to write the forward. Have you heard this story, Hal? I have not. So I wanted Tony Robbins to write the foreword to the book. Who, and who I doesn't asked, want Tony Robbins to write the foreword to their book? <laughs> right, exactly. And if you've noticed, Tony Robbins doesn't write many forewords. No, he you're doesn't. Lucky, you're lucky if you get an endorsement from Tony Robbins, yeah. let alone a foreword. And I had met Tony Robbins when I was younger, when I was 19 years old. And I asked him at 19, if I ever wrote a book, would you write the foreword to it? Now, He's talking to a 19-year-old kid at the time, and I don't think he thought that it was going to happen or whatever. So yeah. he, said, he said, sure. And fast forward to now, I'm in my late 20s, now well over 10 years later, and uh, I've got the book sold to the publisher, Wiley. And that, as you know, in the publishing world, it's, it's a big deal to uh, get a big publishing deal. Sure. Uh, you have to jump through a lot of hoops, write proposals, have literary agents. There's just a lot that has to happen. And I told my publisher, I'm going to have Tony Robbins write the forward because when I was 19, he said he would do that. Yeah. And nobody believed me. <laughs> like, people were like, it's not going to happen. So I started contacting because Tony's like the president of the United States. Yeah, exactly. It's a little hard to get a hold of. Really hard to get a hold of. And so I'm reaching out to every contact that I could find to try to reconnect with him to say, hey, I need you to write this forward now that you promised. <laughs> and everybody from his lawyers to his agents to his 
security, you name it, was like, nope, nope, nope. Tony does, you know, maybe he promised that then, but he doesn't have the time now. That was 10 years ago, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. All these doors were shut. And my publisher is like, we're ready to print this. You need a forward. You don't have a forward. And if you can't get us this forward tomorrow morning, huh. we are going to have to pull the book. And I did something that was otherworldly. I still can't explain how it happened cosmically, but I went to bed that night so focused on parting the seas like Moses, right? I'm like, this has to happen. And I literally, this is when I like stepped back into my spiritual roots. And I was like, God, if you're listening, I know you got a lot going on, but <laughs> I really need your help. I need to get Tony Robbins to get on board with writing this forward. He said, yes, I believe he will do it. I just need to reach him. And the next morning, the miracle happened. I opened up my computer. I was in San Diego at the time. Yeah. And as I pulled open the laptop screen, I see an email from Tony Robbins. And it said, Sean, the speaker in my living room is broken. Can you come over and fix it? <laughs> and I'm like, why the hell is Tony Robbins asking me, who knows <laughs> nothing about subwoofers and tweeters and all, like, why is he asking me? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. He had accidentally written the wrong Sean Stevenson in his address book on his email. And he thought he was writing his sound and AV guy that comes over and fixes stereos. No way. Yeah. No so way. I, yeah. So I immediately wrote him back. And I was like, Tony, oh my God, I think this was a mistake, but I think it was a divine mistake. You know, we met all these years ago. You said you would write the forward to my book. My book is actually needing to be printed, and I need this forward today. Will you please write this forward for me? And within six hours, I opened up my email again and I had the forward to my book. Sean, A, yeah, I've never heard that story. B, that is extraordinary. And C, you and I, I don't think either of us can explain that, right? And what I mean is this. So in the book, the first chapter is called Taking the Mystery Out of Miracles, right? Where I try to bring a miracle from this mythical random thing that we feel like we have no control over. So therefore, we're not empowered to do anything about it to no, 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 no. You can actually create these things in your life that are beyond what you can imagine. So I try to make it really tangible for people. But then at the end of the chapter, the last section in bold, it says putting the mystery back in miracles, right? So the chapter is taking the mystery out of miracles. The last part is called putting the mystery back in miracles. And it, it talks about exactly this, which is you can't explain it. But when you start to live by like you had unwavering faith, right? You established unwavering faith that you that Tony would write your forward. You maintained that faith despite the every sign from rejections to no non-responses, every sign that said, dude, you're not going to get Tony to write the forward. Even to the fact of it being the last day, and that, which it creates more doubt. Like, dude, there, there's no way I'm at the end. But you maintained unwavering faith and putting forth extraordinary effort through all that time, then there is a mystery. It's like you can't explain how Tony accidentally freaking emailed the wrong Sean Stevenson the day that you needed him to do it. But you don't need to understand how your car works when you turn the key. You seem to know that when you turn the key, it starts. 
So yeah. you need to understand exactly how these miracles will show up in your life. You just need to know that if you want to create miracles in your life, you have to make these two decisions and maintain these two decisions, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. Well, and here's, here's what's so crazy about the unwavering yeah. faith. Yeah. Is, so my family has always been big supporters of my dreams. And I remember when I went to bed that night, even my family was like, Sean, I think you're going to have to let this one go. <laughs> and so like, finally, you know, when you have your last card and it's not going to work and you're like, but here's how crazy this is the unwavering faith. I said, if we can't get Tony to write the forward, then I'm not writing this book. Wow. Like, like I was going to pull the book from being published. Like that's burning the boats, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not having an escape plan. That was, I literally feel like I peeled back the invisible veil of reality and like whispered into Tony's ear, open up your laptop, send the wrong guy an email yeah. to get reconnected with me. Cause I was somewhere in his email address book at the time. Cause when we met when I was 19, that's how we connected, but we hadn't spoken or connected each other since. And I didn't have his email. Like he, he had mine. I didn't have his actually. So it was crazy. Like it was a new email address on his side, but my old email address and the fact that it all played out that way. That was one of the days where I realized it was so spooky that I was like, what else am I capable of? Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's so much more that we don't know than that we do know. You know, we think that what we see is all that's real. And yeah, I think there's that quote, I don't know who said it, but I think it's something along the lines of when you make a decision, the entire universe conspires to make it happen. Right. And I think that's the, the mysterious element of miracles is that, yeah, when you make a decision, you made a decision that Tony to write your forward, the universe conspires to make it happen. And most people give up before they give themselves a chance for the miracle to show up, right? You could have got, you know, a week into, after you got your first rejection from Tony's team, whatever, you can be like, ah, well, hey, we tried, it's not going to work. But, you know, when you maintain that until you get the result you want, it mysteriously, magically, miraculously happens. I love um, the, uh, the, the song lyric. It came out in the 90s from Will Smith. No plan B, it distracts from plan A. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Will is a miracle maven and a half, right? In fact, if you can get oh, him on the podcast, that'd be awesome. He, uh... <laughs> yes. I haven't met him yet, although I, I've been conspiring with the universe to make it so. It's just the time's not happened yet. Beautiful. So, well, let, let me ask you one more question. Let's dive into the second decision. I'd love to get an example for you from this. So the second decision is extraordinary effort, right? And of course you can dumb that down and go, yeah, of course you have to work hard, but yeah, you do, right? The amount of effort you put forth typically will quite closely parallel the type of results that you create. You know, somebody, an athlete that is a world champion, typically the amount of effort they put in the gym is, you know, I mean, you, you Michael Jordan, the Kobe Bryant, these guys are usually known for, they're the first ones to show up. They stay late. They outwork everybody else, right? So they put forth extraordinary effort. And then when they're on the court, when it's game time, they're the ones that win the championships. So for me personally, my whole life, I was lazy. You know, I wasn't born. I didn't have this. I wasn't like a, I didn't have a military father where I just like was, you know, grinding and working hard and disciplined. I was really lazy for my entire life. And for me, the defining moment when I was 19, I started a sales career and it was the combination of, I found a goal that was meaningful enough to commit 100% to, 
And then I found a mentor to guide me to reaching it. And those two combinations is what switched on my extraordinary effort. And I went, yeah, I'm willing to work hard and do whatever it takes. And the beauty of it is that once you live this miracle equation, it becomes part of you, right? So once you put forth extraordinary effort, even if you've been lazy your whole life, and then it turns out, even if you don't reach your goal, but you actually get close or you develop some qualities that you really feel great about, then it gets easier and easier and easier and extraordinary effort quickly becomes you know, pretty ordinary. So I would love to know, first question is, were you always motivated and disciplined like from childhood on or was there some defining moment uh, somewhere along your journey that changed things for you? I'm going to say something that's not going to make me look good, but it's the truth. All right. I love it. I go through seasons of discipline, mm-hmm. almost like a pendulum. I'm either all on or I'm all off. Mm. I, there is no gray to Sean Stevenson. There's only black or white when it comes to discipline. Okay. So I'm either working out every single day or you won't see me in the gym at all. I'm either eating 100% clean on my diet or I am a disgusting pig with my food. <laughs> I am either super fixated on a goal, getting out of bed super early, going after it, or I'm just watching Netflix. Like I am somebody that when I'm on, I'm, I'm the best to be on your team. When I'm off, I, you would never want to work with me. And I fought that my whole life because it's crazy. But as I've accepted that, all I got to figure out is how do I stay on? Like mm-hmm. what has to happen to keep the machine running? And when I mean running, I don't mean like I burn myself into the ground and and don't do self-care. It's quite the opposite. When I do the self-care, I can keep the machine going. When I stop doing the self-care, I burn out and I quit. So I don't know if it's that I've always been disciplined. I've had seasons of being disciplined and there's certain things that I have to do. But the example that came up for me, because you asked for like an example of endurance that I, I fixated on the goal and had to keep going. It was finding love. And this might be a little bit of a curve from a lot of the answers you'll get, which will probably be based on business or health. Yeah. But for me, it was love. And I want to tell you a little bit of a story about that because the listener right now might be in that space. And that is when you're born three feet tall in a wheelchair in today's society, you're kind of categorized as asexual from birth. Most people don't think of you as a dating option. They see you as cute and inspiring and, oh, you know, wow, it's amazing that you've done so much. But like, it's not like a, holy cow, I'd like to date this guy. I'd like to have intimacy with this guy. It was, there was a lot of challenges that I had to face when it came to dating. In fact, people would say, what was the hardest part of your life? And I would say finding love Mm. because two things. I had to peel back all my own insecurities. And then I had to find people that didn't have massive insecurities to be with a guy like me. And that meant I had to kiss a lot of frogs before I met my princess and now my queen. And I can tell you that there were so many nights from about, I was one of those weirdos that I never went through the girls have cooties phase. I always liked girls from the moment I hit kindergarten. I always wanted a girlfriend. And from kindergarten until 31 years old, I just kept moving forward saying, I will have love in this lifetime. 
I will have somebody that will have my back, that will be an awesome relationship partner. I will have this. And because I had that energy and decision that I had to make every day, that means I had to go through rejection after rejection. And, and I can't tell you the number of times, Hal, that I heard this one statement. I actually felt that there was a conspiracy at one point in my life against me that all the women were coming together to memorize this one line. And that one line is, Sean, you're amazing. I'm in love with you. But, and then whatever they would say, but I can't be with somebody in a wheelchair. But mm. how, how could I walk down the aisle to a guy in a wheelchair when my family doesn't think it's going to work? But how are we going to have children? But what? And I would face this again and again and again. And people would tell me, like, literally, people would say, like, Sean, you should just enjoy everything else about your life. You don't have to have love to have a good life. They just kept trying to get me to play small, put my glow on low. And I'm like, no, I deserve to have a great sexual, healthy relationship. I, I deserve to have an incredible partner that I can marry. I deserve that. I'm a human being, and I'm sorry that I'm in a container that doesn't necessarily strike most people's fancy, but I know that out there there's somebody that will see past it. And what I was wrong about was I went about it for years the wrong way. I thought I was looking for somebody who would see past it. But really, when I finally met my wife, she changed everything because she said, you've been going about this all wrong. You've been looking for somebody that will look past it. You need somebody to look right at it and be okay with it and love mm. it. Mm. You need somebody who, she said, I hate to break it to you, but no other girl loved you before me. And I'm like, what? My heart like broke again. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? And she goes, because if there's a but, I'm in love with you, Not but yeah. there's no love. Yeah. And like, it was heart wrenching to hear that, but also freeing because what she was saying is there is no but for me. I love you, period. And that's what we say to each other all the time. I love you, period. Hmm. Like end of sentence, full stop. We're done after that. And that's the thing that kept me moving forward in this relationship with her is I realized that she loved me, period. And I was so grateful. I can't tell you the number of times I have high-fived through time back in history, my younger self over the years being like, I am so glad you were fixated on this goal and got me here. You know, whether I'm on a beautiful vacation with Mindy or I'm looking into her eyes on a date night or I'm in a hospital and she's holding my hand or whatever it is. I'm so grateful for that younger version of me that said no to everybody else that said it wasn't in the cards. Well, Mindy's your miracle, would you say? I would say or one of them? Mindy's not the miracle, but the miracle of the fact that I didn't give up. Yeah. Because I can tell you there were so many times how, it, and I think this is everybody's journey maybe in love, not just somebody in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. But did you notice that like you would meet somebody, you would get closer, you get like almost like writing a book, you'd get drafts, right? And then you'd be like, okay, well, this has more of what I was looking for, but then it wouldn't work out. So then you'd be like, okay. And then you'd go right back to the drawing board and you get another draft that would be even better than what the last relationship was. But and then finally you get to the person that you want to be with and you're like, okay, this is it. This is the final draft. This is the final copy. And that experience of having to go up, I thought it was it, but it's not crumpling up the relationship and starting over 
with somebody else or with maybe clearing the slate and starting over with your current partner, like that level of focus to know that it's going to be okay, that takes a ton of faith and endurance to deal with the heartbreak. Yeah, unwavering faith that you were deserving. And I think that's a really important part. We didn't talk about that today, but uh, I call it enlightened entitlement, right? Which is that you have to feel deserving of whatever it is, whatever miracle you're trying to create in your life or whatever you want for your life is you, you have to feel deserving. And many of us just feel like it's that Marianne Williamson quote, who am I to be special or happy or in a relationship or whatever. And to your point, Sean, right? You had so many people tell you that like, ah, just, you know, you don't need that part of your life to be fulfilled, Sean. You don't need love. You can just be a motivational speaker and be by yourself. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to settle for that. Right? Like I want and deserve to have love and a healthy, yeah. healthy, happy partner. And I've met Mindy, dude. You guys are beautiful together. It's just... Thank you. On our first date, Hal, this is how... Wait, you're on my first date or this is you and Mindy? Yeah, me and Mindy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> our first date, I said to her, no different than the Tony Robbins forward book, as I said, I would like to sleep with you someday. <laughs> and, and she just, her jaw dropped. And she was oh, like, what guy says that? <laughs> And I remember, like, in that moment thinking, I am burning the boat. Either she's going to reject <coughs> yeah. or we're going to be together. Yeah. Like, there isn't a middle choice. And that's, that goes back to that black or white versus the gray area. I mean, I was either like, we're going to be together or we can't be in each other's lives. I have yeah. enough friends. I don't need another person that I secretly want to be with but I tolerate having them around as a friend. I can't do that to myself anymore. So are you in or are you out? And that level of confidence and congruence is what made the relationship possible. Wow. A, that's an entertaining story, but that's also just incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. And uh, that, that, that's an element of extraordinary effort, right? Getting out of your comfort zone and, and just stating, this is what I want. Beautiful. Well, Sean, you you are truly your friend. You are a, a miracle maven. And uh, the beauty of it is you're using your life to bring that out in other people and to you know your life, the package you were born into, like you said, it is the perfect package to do the work you're doing. And it's such important work. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people, myself included, have been positively impacted by you and your heart and your spirit and your gifts. And I'm really thankful for you, man. That's my pleasure. And thanks for having me a part of this equation because this equation is something that I want you to continue to, to shout from you know the mountaintops because we need more people creating miracles and we need more people to have these choices to move forward when everybody else around you thinks you're crazy. Absolutely. What is the next best step for people to take with you? Your book, your videos, your website? Is there a freebie? You know what? What's yeah. So I would like to give them a course free. Go to theunstoppableformula.com. That's theunstoppableformula.com. It's a video course where I teach you my three steps to being unstoppable. And it will get you into the Sean Stevenson ecosystem. If you want to learn more about what I'm up to, start there. It's my gift to you. And I would really appreciate it if you, uh, you became a part of my life and we could bring value to each other. Awesome. Well, I believe the message that you gave, I know that you taught the Unstoppable Formula at our event. And uh, once again, I was taking notes in the back of the room and just going, similar to the miracle equation, I'm like, this is the fundamentals. Yep. These three steps that you teach, three steps, right? Yep. 
these three three aspects that you teach, these are right. I mean, it, you know, there's lots of frameworks in the world, and whenever you discover a framework where you go, oh, if I just live by this, it will radically transform my life. That is your formula. So everybody, check that out. Theunstoppableformula.com. My guest today is Sean Stevenson. Sean, uh, I can't wait to uh, see you again in person, my friend. Give you a big hug, you and Mindy both, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Al. All right, goal achievers, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Achieve Your Goals podcast. I love you. I appreciate you. And I go out there this week and create some miracles in your life, help others do the same. And uh, cannot wait to talk to you next week, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 